Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Ardena Azban, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masech Megillah, daf Chavdalad, page 24. Just want to make two quick mentions of sort of Talking Talmud going on. One is our Siyam that is coming up, God willing, on January 16th. We have a great speaker, uh, Professor Dr. Shai Sekunda. Um, there's information posted on our Facebook page. Many people have already registered to join us. Let us know if you want to share some thoughts or reflections uh, on this Masachat. Um, and I also want to acknowledge, Anne, that we have officially completed two full years of podcasting. Um, I know, in the middle of a pandemic also, so I will give myself a little extra pat on the back for that. And Um, you made Aliyah, and you made Aliyah, let's not forget this. Well, and we all did lots of things and just managed to keep our life together, so thank you. But yes, but everybody who's been living, you know, day-to-day COVID, we've all done some amazing things this past year. Um, And, uh, you know, I guess here's looking forward to another five and a half, God willing. Um, (laughs) And no, but really, this is an opportunity for us to thank all of you who learn with us every single day. Um, and feel that we have something uh, meaningful to share with you. Um, and I would so- say I know myself enough to know that there is no way, there is no way, I wish there were, that I would have made it through every single day of Dafyomi without talking Talmud. Meaning you, Yardena, and our co-listeners, co-learners rather, and you know the need to get the recording out and so on, the need to prep the Daf and keep it going, keeps me going for sure. Oh, for me too. I, this would not have happened for quite a while already. Um, so anyhow, so Yashar Koh to everybody. And if you've just joined us or you've been with us for all two years, uh, there's a lot to feel good about. Any type of learning for however length of time is always great. All right. So we have two missions today. Um, this mission that I'm going to go through is, is sort of things that people say in shul that either need to be, that need to be um, stopped. <laughs> so how we can make a video of that, right? Things right. people say in shul. Right. That shouldn't be said. Ha-omer. Um, so if someone says while they're praying or leading the prayers, tovim, right? May the good bless you, meaning bless God, right? This is considered to be a path of heresy, right? Because in other words, and the Gemara will explain this, that, you know, that heretics basically would divide the world into into good and bad. And if you speak like that, right, if you say that, uh, there seems to be sort of a uh, an implication, right, that sort of like God is only mentioned uh, with good and not with bad. Um, and the Gemara will basically explain later on that we need to bless God even for bad. Um, then the Mishnah goes on to say, Al-Kanti for Yagiyah Rachamecha, right, that your mercy is extended to a bird's nest. Um, and this has to do with the mitzvah of Shiluah HaKain, right, where if you want eggs from a nest, you have to send the mother away. And the Gemara, again, gets into a whole explanation and discussion about why is it a way of heresy or what is problematic that sort of uh, talking about that mitzvah in this particular way. I'll share a little bit of that later. Um, and then Yagiyu, uh, sorry, the Al Tov Yizkar Shmecha, Right, may your name be mentioned with good. Um, so that also is problematic. Or if someone says modi modi, they say we give thanks, we give thanks twice. Right, so it looks like you're maybe speaking to two uh, to two gods. Mishta kin oto, we we make him quiet. Um, and then it goes on to say Right, if somebody modifies or or changes the text that we read about all of the forbidden sexual relations. 
right? We also make them quiet. So what they explain that that means is, is that let's say where it says, you know, in the Pasuk that you shouldn't uncover your father or mother's nakedness. If you, you know, sort of were to translate that or to explain that as saying, oh, it means don't embarrass your parents in public, right? We, we quiet you because that's not really, it's not what it means. It's not meant euphemistically. Right? If someone says, or when they're translating this verse of uh, from Vayikra chapter 18, verse 21, you should not give any of your seed to set them apart to Molech. So Molech was that God that required child sacrifice. Right? Right? You shall not, you know, so they say you shall not give any of your seed to a pregnant Armenian woman. In other words, that what it's actually talking about, they're translating it incorrectly. That you, if there was a child born uh, of a union between a Jewish man and an Armenian woman, okay, um, that, that that's what this is talking about, that you shouldn't give your seed to this Armenian woman, right? We, we silence him, not just silence him, but this is even with a rebuke. Um, and so these are sort of all things that they were concerned about that could maybe be said uh, in in shul that sort of you know could give could would lead to or may imply uh, dangerous thoughts or thoughts that are not really are uh, of, of what we are actually supposed to um, believe in. And so the Gemara then goes through some examples of people who maybe davened in a way that was incorrect, um, uh, you know, or did things like that, and and why why exactly um, that was a problem. But I, I did think the discussion that they do have right at the beginning of the Gemara about uh, the uh, about the Shiluah Hakain, right? About the Alkansiporiagirachamecha, right? My time of the Gemara asked what? What what's the reason for this? So there were two Amoraim in the West who had a disagreement about this. Rabbiosi Bar Abim Rabbiosi Bar's Vida. So one says that it because endangered, it would bring jealousy about with God's creations because it would look like God favored one creation. There's a special mitzvah particular to the um, to the bird. And so sort of like the other animals would be upset. And then the other one is, is that, and I thought this one was very interesting, is that the other one is, is that it would show that the reason for the mitzvot is one of rachamim, and really we know Beinan el gzeirot. These mitzvot that God gives us are really just gzeirot. They're just we do them because we're commanded to do them. And if you were to make this statement about the bird and rachamim, it would seem to apply giving a reason for a mitzvah. So I just thought the you know the other reasons that they give for the other uh, phrases or uh, you know things that somebody could possibly say in the Mishnah are, are, are pretty self-evident, even just from reading the Mishnah and the Gemara elaborates on a little, but this one I thought was particularly interesting. You know, this idea that sort of it either shows God is favoring one creature or the idea that there's an implication that we understand the reason for mitzvot and we really have to operate in a way that they are just gezerot. So uh, interesting discussion about this particular passage of the Mishnah. So I think it's interesting that this is very much about, I would say shul, it's not just shul, it's about prayer and who's there, right? And who, who? how do you identify perhaps the heretic in your midst, which reminds me of the fact that, you know, the liturgy and everything about it was not yet set the way it is nowadays. And part of what they were doing was establishing like who's 
who's on the who's in the in group you know who's praying to the same you know the same concept of prayer and the same concept of the deity and so on um and i think that the fact that this is like a i don't know kind of red lines drawn that like we're going to identify who you are based on you know how you present yourself in shul is i think interesting and also reflective i guess of those times um i'm going to jump to the next mishnah which is does a comparable thing, but it's really about reading from the Torah and also from the books of the Nevi'im, from the prophets, I guess for the Haftorahs, right? And it, and we basically here find, you know, again, this, you know, this sense of not everything should be said, or in this case, not everything should be read. So the story, the incident of Reuven, and we'll, the Gemara elaborates on all of these cases, but the story of Reuven, um, is read and not translated. And so this is different levels, right? Some things are read and they're read from the text of the Torah, but they're not translated by the Metargaman to make sure that, like the effort of the Metargaman is to make sure that everybody understands exactly what's happening. And these are the stories where perhaps maybe it's not so important that everybody understand exactly what's happening. The story of Tamar, meaning this is Tamar and Yehuda, um, is read and also translated. Masa Egel Harishon Nikra Umitargame. The story of the first golden calf is meaning it doesn't mean the first golden calf. It's the first account of the golden calf is read and translated. But the second account of it, meaning this is the difference between um Shmot, right? It's the story that that happens, right? The Torah tells the story of what happens. And then the second version is Aaron telling Moshe what happened. And in that case, it's read, but it's not translated. Birkat Koanim Mase David Vamnon Nikrain Velometargamin. So the story, the the Birkat Koanim, actual Birkat Koanim from Sefer Bamidbar, which is the same text that we say nowadays as both as the blessings from the Koanim and also the prayer that's recited, the blessing that's recited over children on a Friday night, um, and then also the incident of David and Amnon is read and not translated. Now. Some of the, you know, the mission is terse here. It's identifying passages from Tanakh that either you know them or you don't know them. And the Gemara is going to elaborate on exactly what's what. Um, probably if you have, if you're using a translation, it probably gives you additional citation. And also you can find it in commentaries, right? That's But the commentaries and the, any English edition is taking it from the Gemara itself. And then the mission continues. You don't, we do not read the story of the Maseh Merkava, the divine chariot, that is not read as a Haftorah. That's from the first chapter of the book of Yechezkel. Rabbi Huda Matir, except for Rabbi Huda says that's okay. Rabbi Lezer Omer, Ein Maftirin, Bahuda et Yerushalayim. He gives us a very direct citation. You know, the, this is the text from which we don't make, we don't read the Haftorah, which is a statement in, also in Yechezkel, Tetzayin 16, chapter 16, because it's uh, such a derogatory derogatory statement about the Jewish people. So the Gemara basically picks up on this and, and really just elaborates it on it in exactly the way that we want a Gemara to elaborate on a Mishnah. Tano Rabbanan brings in a whole series of Toseftot from the Tosefta. Tano Rabbanan, yesh nikreen umetargamin, v'yesh nikreen velometargamin, v'yesh lo nikreen velometargamin, elu nikreen umetargamin. So what happens? He says, the, the text says, there are portions of Tanakh where we read them and we translate them. Let's assume that's most of everything, right? And then there are the portions that are read but are not translated. There are portions that are neither read nor translated. 
And then we've got a list here. These are the ones that are read and translated. And we get this acronym, which has, you know, it's an abbreviation, basically. And it's supposed to be a mnemonic to help you remember all the examples that they're talking about, what's read and also translated. I'm not sure that the mnemonic helps you if you don't already know what the texts are. And then the Gemara goes on, The story of creation is read and translated. And then, of course, there's some discussion, like, you know, why would you think that you wouldn't read it? And it gives you an explanation as to why you might think that you wouldn't. But then, of course, we do. And the next story, The story of Lot and his daughters is read and translated. So I would say that we want to, if we want to, you know, make categories here, the issue really seems to be a question of, you know, what's the nature, nature of creation? What's the nature of the creator, God, whatever. There's something metaphysical about that kind of hesitation to bring it to the public. Although, again, the answer is yes. And the story of Lot and his daughters is perhaps the unseemliness of the story of Lot and his two daughters, right? Where the father sleeps with the, each of the two daughters. Um, they think that it's the end of the world and they're the last people alive. So maybe there's some, you know, justification for it. But also we can understand that this is not the most, it's not the most, Sanua, modest passage, um, if it's, you know, it's about incest. Um, but again, this is not considered off limits. It's read and translated. The Gemara gives us that as a definitive answer. Maset Tamar Yehuda, the story of Yehuda and Tamar, right, which is where he, Yehuda, um, has shunned his daughter-in-law. Two of his sons have died at, you know, for whatever. It's a long story. You can read it in, in Sefer Breshit. But at the end of the day, the story is that Tamar dresses up as a prostitute at the crossroads. Yehuda, in fact, hires her. She becomes pregnant. She, he's going to have her put to death until she kind of makes it very clear that he is the father. And he says, you know, she's done She's done the right thing. He was wrong, um, which is, you know, again, much to talk about each of these, any one of these cases. Um, again, the next story comes, continue, the next case is the first Egel. I mean, again, the first account of the, of the golden calf that is read and translated. Um, and the Gemara says, like, are you worried that that it's going to, you know, look reflect poorly on B'nai Israel? Well, on the other hand, it's also what happened, right? Like, it's not it's not so concerned that the matter that this should not be publicized, meaning the fact of the golden calf is supposed to be publicized because otherwise, how are you supposed to fix it? The second account is where it becomes more a matter of shame, I suppose. Um, the curses and the blessings that are given and Hargrizim and Harevel, I guess, they are read both and also translated. And then the punishment, you have to know what you're doing wrong and what the punishments are going to be um, if you're going to then, you know, experience a punishment. So there's no hiding from that. Now, this is a story already in the Navi. This is no longer in the Torah. The story of Amnon and Tamar is the really good, um, you know, teaching of Yichud, right? The idea that uh, this is, or rather, I would say, we all know that Yichud is not necessarily going to pre prevent any kind of abusive situation. However, the phenomenon of having a law against um, seclusion between men and women comes from the story of Amnon and Tamar, where they are half-siblings and Amnon rapes Tamar. And the Gemara says straight up, like, yeah, you have to, you have to read this because, you know, people need to know that this is there and this is bad. And don't worry that it reflects poorly on David HaMelech, on King David, because, no, it's still it's important enough 
that it needs to be read and translated. Likewise, also the story of Avshalom, right? Avshalom is the rebellion, one of um, um, David's most rebellious sons. Um, okay, next, we've got the story of Pilegish Begiva, which I think is truly the most horrific story in all of Tanakh. You may disagree with me or you may agree. Um, Pilegish Begiva is read and translated, meaning when we say that B'nai Israel or not when we say that the Jewish people are not going to read or and translate some passages, um, it's never shying away from what reflects poorly when Benazel do the wrong thing and then they they the Tanakh presents the bad thing that they did. That's not what that's not something that drives a text away from the public um accounting. I have said this very poorly. I'm gonna try again. Right, the the fact that we have limitations on what's read and and translated publicly does not seem to be a matter of let's hide the fact that we have shameful past. Pilagish Begiva was a terrible, terrible incident that reflected very, very poorly on Bnei Israel. Likewise, Chaita Egel, the golden calf, the second time also it reflects poorly on Bnei Israel. Right, the idea that there is something that we have done wrong. Um, is not enough to take something out of the public sphere. If anything, we're told we must have those things read so that we keep abreast of the fact that we're doing wrong or that we have done wrong and to learn from that and to improve our behavior as we go forward. Um, okay, so there's more other cases here, again, that are read and translated. Then the Gemara comes to the case of, or brings another Tosefta that says these are the ones that are read and not translated, and we get an mnemonic for that. Um, and again, it begins with what we saw in the Mishnah, namely the story of Reuven, Reuven who uh, sleeps with his father's concubine, with Bilha, um, which is an interesting story in and of itself. Um, then we've got the second version of the Chet Egel, meaning the second account of the Chet Egel. Um, we have, let's see, what comes next? Birka Koenim. Now, this is an interesting question, right? Because Birka Koenim seems like a very good thing to both read and translate. Like, it's beautiful. What would the problem be? And the concern seems to be because it says there, Yisa Hashem Panav Elecha. And the concern is that somebody might think that that means that God favors B'nai Israel, and which I think is a very interesting and kind of humorous concern because all over we say God favors B'nai Israel. But in this particular case, they're cautious about making sure making sure that it, while it is read, it is not translated. I imagine everybody hearing Bekakoanim, certainly in that day and age, knew what it meant. Okay, the story of David and Amnon is neither read nor translated. Um, and then, of course, the question is, well, what about Amnon and Tamar? That is read and translated. Why is this Why is this not okay? But that is, and there it's specifically about the negative reflection on David HaMelech, on King David. They're not trying to pan David when they're knocking Amnon and Tamar where they are both the children of David HaMelech, but he's not named in the story in the same kind of way. Um, okay, and then the, we basically have this basic general principle, kol and then there's all kinds of terms that are written in a more vulgar manner, that where we get what's called a kriuktiv, where the text is written in one way and it's read in a slightly more refined manner before everybody. So that's not about the translation. That's about the Hebrew itself. And it gives us some examples. And I'm going to, you know, this, this seems to be, like I said, there, we can categorize this by, you know, um, certain concerns about, um, as I said, like it's it's too metaphysical, supernatural, su um, supreme in terms of God's handling of B'nai Israel and so on. 
Then there's the things that seem to be the, to the disparagement of B'nai Israel that is going to reflect poorly on our behavior. And then here and there, there seems to be something that's more about the, let's call it the tzniut, or the if something is too coarse or too vulgar, it doesn't mean that we wipe it out. We don't wipe it out. We're just careful to not make it the public conversation, which I think is a really interesting um, discussion to be had, you know, in greater detail at some later date. It's a little bit too much of a nisnister for me, Yordana, in terms of the current events of the news in the past few weeks. Um, but, you know, we don't have to talk about those either on Dafyomi. No, we, we don't. And I would... <laughs> Uh, but it's true. It's there. Look, I, I think this whole thing is interesting. Like, on the one hand, we admire that the Torah does not and Tanakh itself doesn't shy away from these stories, right? That these events that are recorded are not there to say, like, everybody's amazing and everybody always does good things. But I think it also recognizes there's a sensitivity to sort of when are things discussed, how are they discussed, and what's the appropriate context for them to be discussed. So, Nowhere is it saying these aren't things that shouldn't be learned or taught, but sort of a public Torah reading forum may not be the right place for some of these things. And I, I, I think there's what to think about there. Uh, listen, I also appreciate this. You know, like I own my Boston Reserve, you know, wholeheartedly. I don't think that we need to let everything spill out. That doesn't mean I think we should shy away from the actual conversation. But this is, you know, this is exactly what is fit and appropriate for Torah reading you know, and translation and so on, that's then going to presumably be the discussion amongst people at their shops tables, right? Like, you know, at least at least you can imagine that being a concern. And so I think that it's appropriate to say there are some lines that we draw. And if you pay attention to this list, those lines are not that um, thick, right? Meaning, uh, that's not the right expression, right? But there's so many things on the positive side. Yes, we're going to read them. Yes, we're going to translate them. Even though you you would think that it would be totally inappropriate, we nonetheless do it. So I feel like, okay, so the recognition that there is such a phenomenon as drawing a line, I'm all in favor. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Robin E. Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.